Hello, and welcome to the course. I'm Stephen, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Professor Lynn Bien from the Department of Psychology. Before joining the university as an assistant professor, Professor Bien was the Evelyn Edwards Millman Assistant Professor at Cornell University. She received her PhD in developmental psychology at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and completed her postdoctoral training at Stanford University. Research examines the development of social cognition with an emphasis on children's reasoning about social categories. She's here today to talk to us about her career path and how she became a University of Chicago professor. Welcome to the course, Professor Bien. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me here. It's our pleasure. So yeah, a uh, lot to get into, but uh, I wanted to just start off with the basics. Uh, so can you tell us in a nutshell, you know, what your current role is uh, and what your, you know, just a, a little bit about how you would describe your field to a layperson? Yeah, totally. So right now I'm an assistant professor in psychology at the University of Chicago. Uh, so I study uh, children and babies to understand uh, how we are navigating our social world. We are trying to understand like how children think about different groups of people, such as men and women, and how they interact with different groups of people. So uh, we are uh, right now, like my lab is using a developmental uh, methodology, which, which is just as what I mentioned, uh, we test children from four to 10 year olds. And we also work with, uh, work with very young babies to, uh, to understand these uh, questions. Okay, uh, cool. And I look forward to uh, getting a bit more into your research, but uh, going back first into your biography, um, can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, like, what were you like as a kid and, and maybe like middle school or high school age? Was there a career path that you saw yourself taking? Uh, were there any signs that you were going to end up doing this? That's a great question. I don't think there were any signs for me, uh, like to show like I will be a professor in the future. Because mm -hmm. uh, initially, I was just very interested in becoming a teacher. Um, well, I was in elementary school. Uh, this was kind of uh, inspired by my mom, uh, by my mother. She uh, she is a teacher. So at that time, I was like, oh, I just want to be a teacher in the future. But then I guess like in high school, uh, like students were asked to like to share their dreams and talk about what they uh, who they want to be in the future. So I wrote something down like I wanted to be a professor, but I completely forgot <laughs> about <laughs> that. It's only <laughs> after uh, my PhD years, I went back to China to visit my parents and I saw uh, this thing I wrote 10 or like more than 10 years ago. <laughs> so yeah, that was a very interesting story, but that was kind of probably like the first, uh, the very first signal that maybe I, I will want to be a professor. <laughs> 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 yeah. Okay. That's that's really funny. So yeah, there there were there were some signs, but uh, it wasn't wasn't obvious. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, can you just walk us through what your path was? I guess you know, starting with undergrad and through to where you are today. Yeah. Just you know, wh where have you uh, where have you studied and worked, and and sort of how has your uh, journey looked? Oh yeah, of course. So I came from China, and uh, I was born and raised in uh, north part of China. But then I went to uh, college in Zhejiang, Zhejiang University, which is like a, a top university, uh, but it's in the southern part of China. So uh, during that time, I'm already like far away from my family. But then after college, uh, well, actually during my senior year in college, I applied to grad schools uh, in the United States and was very lucky 
got accepted into some uh, grad programs. So then after graduating from uh, college, I came to University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign to pursue a PhD in environmental psychology. So then I uh, received my degree. And then after that, I went to Stanford to be a postdoctoral scholar. And then, so I spent a year and a half at Stanford. And then I moved to Cornell as an assistant professor. Uh, but then after two years, I moved to U Chicago. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd be curious to hear uh, your comparisons of the, uh, you know, the, the weather in those different parts of the <laughs> U.S. <laughs> yeah, so it feels like I've been to like multiple places and also across the, the whole country. Yeah, definitely. I mean, California has really nice weather, uh, and Cornell and you uh, and Chicago like are kind of are kind of colder. Especially like the winter is quite brutal. Yeah, but I really love the four seasons. I just feel like uh, you can really see like the um, like the leaves are changing and then the colors are different. So I actually really enjoy being in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, yeah, yeah you, you definitely get all four seasons there. That's, that's yeah. definitely. <laughs> It's been pretty cold today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're recording this uh, in late September, and uh, yeah, definitely starting to change. But uh, okay, so going back to college, though, uh, I'm curious, like, what set you on the trajectory uh, to grad school? Was there an experience, or you know, sort of a, a decisive moment when you decided that you wanted mm-hmm. to uh, study psychology? Yeah, so I've always, I feel like starting in high school, I became interested in psychology. So one thing is like, you know, like in uh, high school, especially uh, in China. So we had uh, uh, like all the high school students had to participate the the entrance exam, the national entrance exam uh, to get into college. And that is uh, kind of like the biggest event during like uh, like the youth years. So uh, I got very stressed out and I feel like I faced a lot of pressure. So then I started uh, talking to like a a counselor at my school. And then that got me interested in psychology. By that time, I was thinking, oh, psychology is about like being a therapist in the future. So I kind of like put that in my, uh, put that on my mind and think about maybe I'll be interested in uh, doing like a psychology major in school. But actually, when I was, after I started my college and I was in the school of science, so which is uh, like, where I had to study like mathematics, uh, physics, chemistry, and also psychology was part of this curriculum, uh, which was really nice. So I was interested in all these other subjects, but at the same time, I became more and more interested in psychology. And Mm -hmm. also starting from there, I got to know that psychology is not just about you know, you can do uh, you can do therapy, but if you choose like a, another trajectory, uh, people would be able to do research for like what we say is like running experiments with subjects to understand mm-hmm. like how uh, how we are thinking and also to better understand our mind. So that's kind of like where I got started, and I feel like oh, this is a uh, something I really want to study, but then. I also found, you know, uh, the, uh, well, during that time, I started like reading some papers and, uh, went to courses. And I found most of the literature, uh, at that time was from the United States. So there were many, uh, famous professors in the United States who are, uh, doing like super interesting psychological research. And then, so I was thinking, oh, maybe I can also, uh, try to come to the States to pursue my grad school. 
And that's where this idea came from. Okay, so how did you arrive at your, you know, focus on on very young uh, children in the very early development? Yeah, what, what steered you in that direction? When I was young, like I found myself enjoy babysitting uh, my younger cousins, and I just uh, love playing with them, and also. Um, Feels like, um, like every time when I was with them, even though they are much younger than me, but I just had a lot of joy. So then, uh, in, uh, in college, I had this great opportunity to join a baby lab. So it's a baby lab in psychology where, uh, they study how children and how babies learn, uh, language. And I found it fascinating. So I just, uh, so in that lab, they, uh, they do studies with, uh, young babies to understand, like, how we get to learn our language uh, from the environment. And I found it fascinating. So then I also felt like that's a really good integration of my interest in psychology and also my interest in like working with kids. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned your uh, undergraduate career uh, in China and then obviously making a, a big move uh, over to the U.S. What were some of your you know, biggest sources of uh, support as you did your graduate work and, and just, you know, advanced it in this field? Uh, like who or, or what uh, has been uh, of support to you? Oh, yeah. So, well, actually, many people were uh, being super supportive along the way. But I think the biggest supporters are like uh, definitely my parents. And uh, also my advisors. So my parents were very supportive, even at the very beginning, because I'm the only child in my family. So when I told them, like, I wanted to uh, go to a different country uh, mm-hmm. across the globe to pursue studies, uh, even though I know, like, it's hard it's, um, for, like, my parents to hear about this, but they were very supportive uh, of this decision. And they uh, just, uh, they encouraged me to pursue that. They And they also try their best to, you know, visit me almost like once a year before the pandemic. Um, and also, I think because during like PhD studies, usually it's a, a pretty tough process. So uh, my parents are my best listeners. Uh, when something that was frustrating came up, I always um, call my parents to uh, to talk with them and they provide me with unconditional love and also continuous encouragement along the way. Yeah, so I just uh, feel like also another, um, like I also really appreciate my advisors uh, in this process because sometimes I, um, actually it's not sometimes, like <laughs> for many, many uh, times I uh, tend to doubt my own abilities of uh, like pursue academia or like doing uh, or pursue like a, some, uh, or doing like a good research work in the field. But my advisors were always the, were always there to support me. So I remember like one of my advisors in grad school, uh, she told me one thing uh, someday that was like uh, when I uh, made a mistake in my uh, in analyzing my data. And then I still remember that day. So it was like uh, when I came to her office, we were supposed to have this individual meeting to talk about like research progress. So she closed her door slightly and then she told me, she said something uh, like this. So what she said was, so one day you will have your own lab. And uh, so at that time, you really need to make sure everything you report uh, is precise and uh, accurate. So I really want to see that day to come. And that was very encouraging, even though, you know, I 
made this mistake and I was about, I feel like maybe she wanted, uh, she will blame me or something. She didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, she put it into uh, like an encouragement. Yeah, that, that's a great example of uh, constructive uh, criticism. <laughs> Glad you had a, a advisor who knew how to do it the right way. Um, I'm I'm curious just because you've made this this big transition uh, from you know across the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> like, did obviously I'm sure that was a huge adjustment. Did you find it was an, a, a challenging adjustment in terms of the academic work also, or, or like you know h- how did sort of your undergraduate I guess experiences compare and and translate into what you were doing as a grad student in America? Yeah, so I do feel like there was some culture shock uh, for sure when. Uh, started grad school in the in America. I think in terms of the academic materials, not so much, but it's more about you know it's very different culture, and I need to uh, I had uh, I need to make like several adjustments to adapt adapt to the new culture, and also like I mean the culture can be translated into uh, many different aspects, such as like how people interact with each other, and also like the classroom culture, things like that. So that was. A bit of a shock at the very beginning, but then I think after the first year, uh, I got used to it. So, can you tell me a little bit about you know what your sort of daily working life is like now? I mean, I, I know it may differ from day to day, but like you know, what's occupying a lot of your time now as, as a professor? Yeah, uh, great question. <laughs> so, uh, I feel like when people are thinking about professors' life, they probably think uh, they do research and teaching. Uh, mm-hmm. most of their time. And that's indeed, uh, actually, uh, still, like I'm still, uh, allocating, uh, much of my time to research and teaching, but also I mentor students a lot. And so right now my lab has four grad students and one postdoc. Uh, and I also have my own lab manager. And we also have about like 12 undergrads, uh, helping us, uh, with research. So then I do a lot of mentorship. And in addition to that, we also uh, need to, for example, participate in faculty meetings and to take administrative uh, responsibilities. So those are all like different facets of this job. So one thing we've been asking people is, uh, you know, what are your least favorite or, you know, less uh, less favorite <laughs> aspects <laughs> of, of being a professor? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So I feel like I just feel the reason I uh, I like this job because I always think about like I don't know if this is the right phrase to say but there is a word like if you like uh, if eighty percent of the job uh, if you enjoy eighty uh, percent of the of all the aspects of the job then the job is a great one mm-hmm. so I think that's kind of similar to my experiences so. I I enjoy most parts of this job. The only thing I think a little bit, uh, you know, uh, kind of a little bit surprising to me uh, when I first started this uh, this job or started my uh, lab is I just realized there are a lot of like logistical stuff uh, I need to consider mm. because previously as a grad student or as a postdoc, the lab structure is already there and I just need to, uh, to learn about it and then uh, also just adapt myself to it. But now I kind of have to create a structure uh, on my own, which is super exciting. But then also means that uh, along the way, you will need to solve all the problems that come up. So then, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a little bit, a little bit distracting. But with time, I think it's getting better. So especially I think for, uh, for new assistant professors, the first year dealing with the logistics will take a lot of time. But then after that, once you have a stabilized, lab structure, then the uh, issues go away. 
what what are some of the specific challenges involved with that? Because I mean, I, I have spoken with you know a number of your colleagues who are running labs or who have been mm-hmm. like involved in lab work, but uh, I hadn't thought about you know, <laughs> the fact that you have to be the the person running the show. Um, yeah, what, what are some of those challenges? Yeah, that's a great term. Yeah, well, we have to be the person who runs the show. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the challenges, you know, like when especially like for my lab because we do a. Uh, experiments and uh, which is like we design studies and then we recruit participants uh to do our studies and those participants as i mentioned are usually like parents and their children so then first is we need to establish uh some relationship with the uh, local communities and also find a way to recruit parents and families mm-hmm. to participate the studies mm-hmm. and something that's i i really appreciate is you chicago has this resource uh that could be shared with all the developmental psychologists. So then uh, I just feel very honored. And also uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to use this database. But then uh, after we get the database, then we have to set up schedules about like, you know, uh, who is supposed to test, uh, who is supposed to recruit the participants and who is going to test these participants. And with scheduling and testing, then people need to have the skills to be able to do that. And how are we going to train them this is like a also like a related and very important question. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit more about what's happening in the lab right now? Like, a, you know, what does the work actually look like and uh, what questions are, are you hoping to answer? Yeah. So uh, right now, like in general, we are interested to understand like how children think about social work. But the reason we ask this question is because there are many issues uh, that we are facing in uh, we are facing today. Uh, for example, like one big question uh, we uh, really want to tackle is uh, women's underrepresentation uh, in STEM fields like mathematics, science, and computer science, like fields like that, because mm-hmm. there are uh, way more men than women uh, in those domains. And then we try to understand why is that the case. So then lots of uh, some some past, uh, past work has studied uh, like adults to understand like why women don't choose these areas or like why women face discriminations from these areas. But mm-hmm. for us, we want to understand this question from its roots. So we wanted to know like before people reach adulthood, like maybe girls are already deciding on which careers they want to pursue, or mm-hmm. maybe girls are already facing some, uh, some kind of prejudice that push them away from some of the careers. So that's why we focus on young children, which compared to adults, these are very young kids, like four to 10 year olds. And mm-hmm. we try to understand how they are thinking about boys and girls' abilities. And uh, for example, like in one of the uh, prior papers, we had, uh, we asked children, we showed them like uh, men and women, like faces of men and women. And then we asked, who do you think is really, really smart? And we found from very early on, like around the age of six, girls begin to think their own gender is not as smart as boys. So they were mm. less likely to choose their own gender as being really smart. And then this has like a very, uh, has a very strong active effect on their activity choices. And in the future, it will be their career choices. So right now, my lab is really trying to figure out the mechanisms that push girls and women away from some of the areas and also trying to figure out ways to uh, to do some interventions to help girls to persist longer in STEM. Okay, that's uh, that's really cool and uh, really important research. I, I you know, I, I want to hear what your advice would be 
uh, in general for people who who are looking to maybe follow you into this field. But uh, first, I'm curious specifically, you know, as someone who is a woman in STEM and, and is studying that topic, what, what would your advice be for other women who are, you know, considering going into psychology? Yeah. So I uh, thanks for the opportunity. So basically, um, in our, I will just uh, share some findings from our kids study, and then that may uh, help us to uh, uh, like link to the advice I will give. Please, yeah. Yeah. So basically, in our case study, uh, we had like an interesting uh, or like a paradigm for our young children, which is we show them a novel game. And then uh, for some of the kids, we said, you know, this game is only for really, really smart children. Uh, if you are not smart enough, you cannot be good at this game. But for the other half of the kids, we said this game is for children who work really, really hard. So hmm. if you work really hard, you can be good at this game. Uh, and what we found was really fascinating. So basically, like for boys, they show no, uh, uh, boys were equally interested in these two types of games. So if you ask them about like, who do, uh, which do you want to play this game? And do you want to, would you feel happy or sad while you were in this game? Boys were equally happy and they were equally interested. Hmm. But for girls, we found a big difference. So for the, in the game for really smart children, girls were less interested. They were like, I don't want to play the game. It's not a game for me. But if it's the same game, but then we frame it as for hardworking children, girls were very excited about the game. So that's the kind of uh, related to the advice I want to provide, which is, uh, I mean, probably not an advice for women or girls. I think it's for the culture and for people out there. So I think should probably emphasize like effort and hard work uh, as being the key for success in not only the non-STEM fields, but also in the STEM fields, because that's also the truth. Like in any careers and in any jobs, you need to work hard to be able to uh, be successful someday. But I think right now, like some of the uh, STEM fields, especially the ones with, uh, with fewer women, such as like clear science, they place a strong emphasis on brilliance or like innate talent. Mm. And then that really pushes women away. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's interesting. And uh, yeah, I don't know that that makes a lot of sense that uh, just how, you know, that the changing of that framing would, would yield such different results. So, you know, I, I mean, obviously that question uh, <laughs> of what you're looking into now uh, is a big one. And, and I'm sure that people, uh, you know, could spend their entire careers researching that. Are, are there things you know, maybe further down the line that you hope to do or areas that you hope to to look into types of research that you um, maybe haven't gotten the chance to do yet that you'd like to do? Like, you know, what are some things that you're hopefully looking forward to in your career? Yeah. So right now, actually, uh, because we saw this problem and we also, I think the, uh, also uh, something that's more, uh, it's actually more severe than we thought before because we saw this like in very young kids. So then uh, the next steps and actually some of the current studies we are doing right now is to try to figure out a way to make uh, girls more motivated uh, in STEM uh, as opposed to, you know, uh, they got the message, they get the message and then they shy away from STEM. So that's a big part of the research we are doing now. And in fact, uh, a new paper just came out today from my lab on like how we can uh, boost the girls' persistence in, in STEM. And we are following up on that uh, by using like a strategy that we present uh, role models. So we present uh, female scientists to uh, hopefully encourage girls to 
uh, to stick with them longer than uh, than uh, previously. So that's one uh, big focus. And another thing we uh, I'm also like interested in how to how children think about uh, different racial groups because for now, like I've been talking a lot about uh, their ideas about gender, but then children are also sensitive to race from a young age. So do they also hold certain stereotypes about uh, different different racial uh, racial groups of people? That's our uh, question too. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Very big questions. Um, so yeah, just to wrap up, uh, I'll ask you a question that we have been putting to everyone uh, towards the end of these interviews, which is what do you find most fulfilling about what you do? I feel like the most fulfilling part is that uh, when you do research and then when you start, uh, see the results or the data, that you are the first person <laughs> like knowing the results. And mm. uh, nobody in the world knows about the results until you know the paper is published. So I think by knowing something that's novel, uh, that's already very fulfilling. But in addition to that, I think in my current role, I found the most fulfilling uh, part is uh, mentoring my students. Because I um, get inspirations from my students on, um, every day and they have all these like interesting ideas. And I just enjoy, you know, watching them to become the next generation of psychologists. Uh, and I really love that part. Thank you, Professor Bien, for your time today. And course takers, if you enjoyed listening to today's interview, please check out the others, leave us a comment, subscribe, and follow and share this episode with your friends and family. You can find out more about the University of Chicago through uchicago.edu or the university's campus in Hong Kong through uchicago.hk. Stay tuned for more. We'll see you around.